Okay, let's read. Um, if it, I've entitled this Being a Mega Church. Do you want to be a mega church? Now, normally, that's a title that's given to churches of thousands and thousands of people. Um, probably South America has most, uh, a lot of mega churches. Certainly, the, the U.S. talks about mega churches. If you go to Seoul, Korea, I think it's three quarters of a million people in Yonggi Chow's church. I think that figure still holds true, and there are many others. You know, if you're a church in Seoul of 4,000, you're small. Um, so we have quite a way to go, don't we, in what God is you know, turning around our nation. But actually, I want this title to mean something else, other than just numbers, although numbers are important. Every person in that number is an individual and precious to God, and Jesus laid down his life for them. But a megachurch for me, and the way I want to kind of redefine it is, let's be all that God wants us to be. Okay? Let's have a church that is all, and I mean all, that God wants us to be. And I know that's infinite, because God is infinite, and God has given us all things. If he has given us his son, then surely he will give us all things, Romans 8.32 says. But we want to be all, and it seems like... Somebody said to me some months ago, you guys, you don't stand still, do you? You know, this was in the context of having set up an evening school and a daytime school, and now we're, you know, uh, and, and lots of other things, but the discussion was around schools, and then launching into a free school, and you think, you guys don't stop. Well, God doesn't stop, does he? We rule the day when, when we stop, and although sometimes we'll take a deep breath and say, well, <gasps> can we do that? Actually, that's a good sign. When you have to take, if you're not taking deep breaths and saying, well, how on earth do we do that? You you remember some of us said about our daytime school, we've got no money, no students and no promises. It must be God. (laughs) Did I say promises? What did I say? Promises. Promises. All right. We have promises. (laughs) No premises. I thought that line got more laughter than it deserved. There you go. And often it's like that, isn't it? You look, at, you look at something and there's nothing. And God said, let there be light. God delights in taking nothing and making something out of it. That's what he did with us and this whole world. That's the way he works. And so you can kind of feel his footprint, you know, in things where, you know, you're looking at and thinking, well, how on earth do we do that? Surely we don't have the resources. Well, when we look at it humanly, often we don't. But as we keep saying, as Pete's often reminded us, you know, we're a church. If God says do it, we do it. That's exciting, isn't it? And it's breathtaking. Uh, it's a great place to be. So we want to be a mega church, and I'm sure that will mean numbers as well. But we want to be all, even as we are now, we want to be all that God has intended us to be. And in order to do that, we need two key ingredients. It's always exciting when preachers say that, you know, I wonder what those are. (laughs) And those two key ingredients come out of the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians 4 this morning. So if you want to quickly rustle up your Kindle um, or your telephone, (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. Those two, two ingredients are in this passage, unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. We are not going to get very far without those two working hand in hand. And actually, as you'll discover, they do go hand in hand. 
There's not much unity without maturity, and there's not much maturity without unity in the body of Christ. So Ephesians 4 says this. Well, actually, I'm going to read. This is a huge task, so for the benefit of that, I'm going to read the last part of chapter 3 that Tim uh, so eloquently sort of preached on last time, but it's the prayer that we need before we do anything. So if you're approaching a big thing, this is the prayer you need, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Just say the word power with me. Power. Say the word love. Love. We need power and we need love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the mega church, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. There's our prayer, isn't it? We'll always be on the move. There'll always be more for us to do because God is the God of the more. And the genius of what's happened to us over the last five or six years is that we've learned to pray, God, give us more. More of you, more of your plans, more of your purposes. And that's a constant prayer. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer, not for the status quo, but for more. And Jesus taught us to pray that. And he presented us, you know, with the Father who has all the resources in order to hear our prayers. So here's the passage for today, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He descended, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Where's Jesus at the moment? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Where are you at the moment? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all things grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
Amen. Now, if you want wisdom, other than the Bible, Peanuts cartoons are not a bad place to go. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I can't put the, the, the cartoon up, but I do have the script here of a particular incident that was taking place between Lucy and Linus. You know, Lucy is the bossy sister. Anybody had a bo- I had two sisters. They were, had seasons of bossiness. I don't think my sisters have ever heard these things on tape, so I'm kind of free. They're never likely to either, so bless them. And uh, Linus is this submissive little brother, all right, who goes around sucking his blanket, if you can remember that. So in a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change TV channels, threatening, threatening him uh, with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, says Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this in a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. (laughs) Which channel do you want? Asked Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> you know, and if the church was organized like that, if we, it's good link, isn't it? <laughs> if the church is, you know, united, then it's a powerful force, isn't it? It's a powerful force. So Paul. Right in that one of the key things that he's going to remind us of, as well as, first of all, living lives, you know, according to the calling. That's all the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's just laid out how wonderful it is to be a Christian. He says, now look at what God's done for you in his death and his resurrection. Look at how he's brought down the wall of hostility between you and God and between Jew and Gentile. And by implication between every person, no matter what their differences, be they gender or race or whatever. Look how wonderful it is. Therefore, live a life that's worthy of that calling. Be humble, be gentle, be kind, be loving. And uh, we could focus on those, but those are the kind of prerequisite, aren't they? If you've been born again, you have gentleness as the fruit of the Spirit. You have patience as the fruit of the Spirit. You have love as the fruit of the Spirit. They're all yours and they'll come to you in ever-increasing degrees of glory. You are glorious, aren't you? Turn to the person next to you and say, you are glorious. You are amazing. You are holy. You are righteous. You're a world changer. But you're no good on your own. (laughs) Well, actually, you could do a lot of good. But Paul's about to give this amazing statement about our unity, isn't he? And it's interesting. in, in In a church that's full of grace, like ours, like any church should be, where all the effort, all the effort, all the effort has been made by Jesus Christ for your salvation. All the effort that ever needs to be made for your sin to be forgiven. All the effort to ever make you righteous and gracious and the kind of person that God's to be. All the effort has been done by Jesus. 
He had this finished work on the cross. So we understand that to be God's grace, God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited love towards us. There is nothing that we contribute to our salvation. Jesus has done it all. So therefore, if we come across a verse in the Bible that suddenly says, make every effort, our ears should prick up, shouldn't they? If you've really got hold of the grace of God, when scripture comes along and says, yeah, that's all by grace, your salvation, your eternal destiny, it's all by grace. And when scripture comes along and says, but make every effort, actually you ought to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Didn't think it was all about effort, it was all about gliding through the Christian life, you know, which you should do. You know, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. But actually, a light burden doesn't mean you have to make effort. It doesn't mean you don't have to make effort. Because Paul says it here, doesn't he? So, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, notice this. It's the unity of what? The Spirit. You're not doing it on your own, are you? In fact, when you read these verses, you realize the whole trinity is involved. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's the Spirit. There's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Father. And on that basis, since you have all three at your, you know, available to you, I was going to say your beck and call, but it's almost like that, isn't it? Doesn't make God out. Well, God is a great, He is the greatest servant, isn't He? And it's almost like you can demand God to be around. I'm not not suggesting that's a good attitude to have, to be demanding towards God. But God is so available. One of the things we've learned over the last few years is just how available he is. That's why we can... Pro- I love it still when people come to prophesy over me, will you, David? As if it's like a penny slot machine. Well, it's not a penny slot machine. But God is available. He's that available, isn't he? That he wants to talk to us wherever we are. I love the lady who came up to me, wanted to do our evening school and said, you know, so what level of prophecy do you teach on your school? And I was thinking, what level is that? (laughs) The highest level, of course, but where are we on the scale of prophetic levels? You know, and I just said, well, I don't know about levels, but, you know, we believe that God wants to speak to us all the time. So it's almost like we can just come to God and give you a prophecy right now. She said, "Okay, prophesy over me right now. So I did. And glory to God, she ended up on the floor. You know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like God's sense of humor, isn't it? That's really put you off from me prophesying over you now, isn't it? I don't want to be on the floor. Well, she, I hadn't expected that. And then, and then her three friends came up and we prophesied over them and they ended up on the floor. So was, and then they signed up for the evening school. You know. <laughs> I don't pretend to be good at marketing, but that's probably a quite a good marketing ploy, isn't it? <laughs> so one of the biggest challenges to us as a church is to be united, isn't it? But you have the one Lord, the one Spirit, and the one Father who is in all and through all. And there's a clue, really, to 
the secret of unity has got to be the presence of God, isn't it? We have the Father who is over all and through all and in all. So actually, the more we press in, this miracle of unity is going to take place, the more we press into his presence. The more we discover about the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the more we will discover oneness in our church. And folks, we need that. If you get any inkling of anything that's coming between you and somebody else in the church, please, please make every effort. I appeal to you on the authority of Scripture. Make every effort to to do what? To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, what, does, what keeps you from doing that is one, well, one particular thing in particular. And that's the fear of man. The fear of what other people will think. The fear of what they will think about you in particular. If you sort of go to them to discuss something, it's going to be a difficult subject. But fear has no place in the environment here. Fear has no place in your life. You have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of love and power and self-control. You may go to somebody and they may be totally unreceptive to you. You have played your part. As far as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans 12 verse 8, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. It's not just in the church either, is it? It's actually people outside the church. You have the opportunity to pour burning coals on your enemies, Paul says. Yes! (laughs) I'm not sure if this is scriptural, but there's something in that that appeals to me. It's there in the Bible. You pour burning coals. The picture is of the Roman army. And as their uh, enemies come through sort of, you know, like a gorge... They would stand on the top and literally pour burning coals. The idea was to absolutely destroy their enemies. And Paul chooses that picture of all pictures to say, this is how you love your enemies. When you love them, it's like pouring burning coals on them. It's out to destroy them. Because Paul is about to say in the next few verses in Romans 12, you know, that love can overcome evil. And it really means that, doesn't it? It can destroy evil. Jesus' love on the cross destroyed the evil one. So when you love other people, you are destroying evil. You should be rubbing your hands together with glee. Come on! (laughs) Don't get dismayed by the headlines. Don't get dismayed by the latest terrorist thing. Because you have... A power that is far more powerful than that. Than that. And it's never reported on, or very rarely ever reported on. But day after day after day after day, you have this opportunity wherever you find people in opposition to you and the gospel to literally love them and destroy evil. That's how evil, that's God's plan to, for overcoming evil. It's through people who will lay down the, even their lives as Jesus did in order to love those people around them. So if you want more unity, what do you need? You, well, put very simply, you need more of God. And it's fascinating, isn't it? The way we pursued, and this is, you know, just want to kind of brag on our church for a moment. (laughs) 
Is that the you know, It's a bit of an Americanism, isn't it? But you know what I mean. Okay? Since we've been pursuing God in the way we've been pursuing him, and that's all the bottom line for us as a church is God's presence. It's amazing who has been drawn to that. Anglicans, Baptists, Pentecostals, other charismatics, evangelicals. Come to the global legacy meetings. Come to the daytime school, the evening school. Yes, even yesterday, there were 200 people seated where you are sitting. I don't know where most of them come from. And there are whole church groups tapping into something that God is doing here. And this is not the only place where God is doing stuff, but we delight in the fact that God, draw, you know, the presence of God draws people to this place, our healing center. You know, people come and serve there from different backgrounds. I don't, I can't remember the last time I had dis, a discussion about somebody's denomination. Hallelujah. I can't remember the last time I had a discussion about infant baptism or adult baptism, Calvinism or Arminianism. Well, maybe I can remember that one. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it was the Lord's will that I should have that discussion. Didn't it? <laughs> or was it? <laughs> or was it? <laughs> but you see what I mean? Those things, although they have kind of their place and everybody needs to make up their own minds about those things, actually they're minor things compared with the major things. The major thing is the Lord and his presence. The one Lord of the one body, of the one faith, of the one baptism, of the, you know, of the one Father who is in over all, in all, uh, through all and in all. That's where our conversation takes place most of the time, doesn't it? And that's what will bring the unity together. There's a growing unity in our churches in the locality. It's lovely to see things like food bank and street pastors just thriving because people have put effort into it. And I don't suppose, I'll check this out with Claire and Andrew and Raquel, I don't suppose they turn up at food bank and, you know, or street pastors and say, you know, talk about the minutiae of the, of the things that sort of separate us. No, because they have a passion to serve God in the things that they are doing. It's so powerful, isn't it? They will know you are Christians because you love one another. And I'm not pretending that we are, you know, that we don't have a way to go. There's always more. There's always more in, our, in building relationships with, with other people. And, uh, you know, in, in other churches. But it's wonderful when initiatives break out of that. The fact that we can have a free school, you know, that's got a Christian ethos and is open to everybody. That's a powerful, powerful statement, isn't it? Our church is open to everyone. They're, and people come in. I just had a lady come up to me uh, from the evening school and said, thank you. No, it was somebody who's coming here regularly. And uh, it's it fascinating because she had this jumper with lots of gold bits in it. They weren't literally gold dust from God, but it was just something on it. She just said, I love the sense of royalty, that you, the way that you do, treat with one another in this church. And if you've been here long enough, you probably begin to take you know, things for granted. You don't notice them so much. And, you, and new people come in and they sense something in the atmosphere. Folks, we always need to, that always needs to be happening. People need to come in amongst us and sense this oneness and sense, you know, what God is doing here amongst us. Amen? That was unity. <laughs> so five minutes on maturity. <laughs> I think we've got a title for that, isn't it? Maturity, what is it? Oh yeah, what is it? How do you get it? And where do I, do? what do I do? What do I do?
Oh, what do I do? Yes. <laughs> what do I do? Do, do, be, do, be, do, do. Yeah. The song's still hovering around there. Good. So what does it say about maturity? How do you get maturity? Well, in, you know, it's not the only passage that talks about Christian maturity. But it's interesting that Paul, right here, deals with maturity in this way, doesn't he? Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given... Then you've got that interesting bit about ascending and descending, which nobody, none of the commentators really know what Paul is trying to get at there. Except that what struck me was that there's this language about Jesus descending, which could be a reference to him simply coming to earth. might be a reference to him even going to Hades or hell. But actually it's easy to forget that Jesus is the ascended Christ. I think that's really Paul's main point here. And he's filling the whole universe. And the Christ who is filling the, the, the universe is actually showering us with gifts. I didn't coordinate with Helen with that word that she brought this morning. I don't know if she knew we were going to, even that we were going to preach on Ephesians 4. You weren't, no. Because, you know, the program had been swapped around. But the ascended Christ has gifts to give. Do you want to put your hands out? If you weren't receiving them early, just receive... You know, Christ is in heaven. You are here on earth, but you are also in heaven, so he hasn't got to reach very far. He could reach that far, obviously, if he wanted to, but (laughs) brought you up near and close. He is giving you his gifts. And although we're going to focus, and Paul is going to focus here on apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, and you might already have disqualified yourselves, because most Christians think that's beyond them. Why, why don't you say, Lord, just give me all that you want to give me. <laughs> Lord, stir me in the gifts that you are giving. Yeah. There are folks in this room who have had words spoken over them, and they've become rather dormant. And the Spirit of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they want to stir up in you. You see, Jesus descended and then ascended for you in order to both save you, but also give you his gifts. And each one of you has a part to play. If you think think you are just a small part of this church, would you like to stand up? If you think you're just a small part of this church, would you like to stand up? Now, if you think you're a small part of this church, you'll probably stay seated. (laughs) But I'm going to encourage you, sorry, that was the irony in that. I'm going to encourage you just to stand up. If you think you're just a small part in this church, then would you like those people who stood up, you can stand up again. I don't want to confuse you. Do you know what I mean? You know, you'd still be, if you think... I'm a small part of this church, so I don't respond to things like this because I don't think I'm part of them. So I'm going to stay. Oh, no, but he just told me I've got to. Uh. <laughs> okay, you think you're a small part of this church? Just stand up. If you think you could grow a bit more in playing your part in this church, would you like to stand up? Those people who are standing up, stay up. Pete, you can stay up. Oh, and that's probably going to get everybody now, isn't it? <laughs> That's all right. 
All those who are standing up felt a little bit on the spot because they think they're small. Right? Just place your hand on the person next to you. Just say, you have an amazing part to play in this church. You have an important part to play. God is giving you gifts right now. Amen. We'd linger there, but we need to sit down because I've got a couple of more things to say. So Paul clearly uh, talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. They are God's gifts to us and you won't be around long in Eastgate before you recognize that we believe those gifts are for today. If you come from a different stream, different tradition and don't have those, I recommend that you get hold of them. Right? Phone them up. Phone the apostle up. Phone the prophet up or whoever you've got. But it's a blessing of our church that over the years we've been influenced by apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors. Plural. Right? One of the problems in the church in Corinth was that they had adopted their own apostle. Be it Paul or Cephas or Apollos or anybody else. And Paul had to write them and say to them, all these things are yours. All right? That's the other oh, children. Yeah, that's good. Okay. They're all yours. And I guess all I've got time to say this morning is, folks, let's press into that. And actually the apostle's job is to do what? To prepare you for works of service. So actually, in one sense, you're all apostles. You're all apostolic in that sense. You're all prophetic. You should be out prophesying the prophets. That's their job. You should be out evangelizing the evangelists, out teaching the teachers, out pastoring the pastors. The measure of their ministry is your maturity. That was clever, so I'll say it again. The measure of their ministry is your maturity. They'll all be retiring shortly. What are you going to do about it? Actually, that's, not, not, that's truer, than, <laughs> truer than you think, isn't it? In the next five years, who are going to be the apostles? Who are going to be the prophets? Who are going to be the pastors and teachers? Who are going to be the evangelists? Who are going to be those people who are teaching that? And in... We know there are different measures of gifting. We know some people, you know, seem more clearly apostolic than others. But you see that don't ever disqualify yourself from receiving from those people. The true value of Pete or Bill Johnson or Chris Vallotton or whoever it is, is that they are impacting your life and you are becoming, if not exceeding them. If they have the spirit of Christ on them, then their, their heart is that you would exceed them, that their ceiling will be your floor. Somebody challenged us once, well, you know, you're not international speakers, how can you start a daytime school? And I thought, yeah, how can we start a daytime school? <laughs> because Bethel would t- you know, have taught us, and they've taught us well, and we've received it, that their ceiling is our floor. So we should, they, they, they wrote that administration manual, they put together all those DVDs, so that that was a platform for us to build on. And now other people... We are becoming a ceiling for other people's floor. Yeah? 
let's just stand, shall we? There's probably more to say in that, but just, can we get the declarations up? I think it's the last, uh... can we say this together and then we're going to just, I know we're, we're out of time now, but we put some communion stuff out, some uh, red wine, Hardy's, 4 99 in the co-op, <laughs> and, and cranberry juice. There are big glasses and little glasses. I've, I've tried to cater for everybody. Uh, there's only granary rolls, I'm afraid, but some first person up, they have to break them open. Just spend some time. If you need to go and get kids and come back, that's fine. But just spend some time just, just sharing the bread and the wine with each other and bless each other when we've just made these declarations. Shall we say them together? I am a very important part of the body of Christ. God has great plans and purposes for me. I am destined to grow into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Lord, enlarge my capacity to dream big dreams for myself, my church, my community, my nation, and the nations. Let's say it again. I am a very important part of the body of Christ. God has great plans and purposes for me. I am destined to grow into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Lord, enlarge my capacity to dream big dreams for myself, my church, my community, my nation, and the nations. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Okay.